The rest of us can turn uh, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 22. You can also find that printed in your bulletin. The TV show alone uh, is now in what I believe is its 10th season. And the premise of this show is that they take contestants out into uh, really remote parts of the wilderness. Often it's the Canadian Rockies. Um, and they drop them off. And the point of this contest in this TV show is to survive alone as long as you can by yourself. And um, they let you have maybe like 10 items you can bring with you that will help you survive. But the rest is up to you. So you need to build your own shelter. Uh, you need to find and kill your own food. Um, and you basically just need to outlast everyone else. That's the whole point. You win if you outlast everyone else all alone. Um, and the show has grown in popularity over the course of those 10 seasons to where um, they now have, like, they attract some very capable survivalists to be on the show. Like, these are not just, like, mildly adventurous people who want to give it a shot. These are people who have, like, dedicated their lives to, like, living out in the bush and, like, surviving and teaching others how to do it. That's the type of contestant that's now coming on this show. But regardless of experience... There's always this moment for every contestant where the reality sets in for them. And sometimes it's right after the boat drops them off. You know, they'll show the TV crew and the boat driving them to this remote location. They get off the boat, they take their gear, and, the, and they show the boat leaving. And then the contestant just looks around. And you can sort of watch it wash over them. The reality sets in. I am really alone. And sometimes you'll see them get the shelter built in a few weeks. It's incredible. It's these amazing, you know, very um, just brilliantly built shelters. They'll kill some giant animal that's gonna, they're going to feed off of for like two months. And you think, man, like they're set. This person's going to win the show. But then slowly over time, uh, the loneliness is what eats away at them. And they end up giving up. And even sitting at home on your couch watching this show, um, you can sort of see this extreme loneliness wash over them, and it can instantly connect with how lonely we feel. Uh, even while we're surrounded by roommates and coworkers and family members and school and church, uh, we live in deeply lonely times. And this loneliness can, can even influence how we approach our spiritual life. Where we can tend to think that following Jesus is something that happens in isolation of everyone around us. And we think about it just in terms of me and Jesus. Uh, that my faith is this private thing that only involves me and my personal spiritual journey. And then it sort of adds to this bag of things that we carry in this world all alone, all by ourselves. Uh, what if... Uh, rather than living in this loneliness and approaching our faith in isolation, what if following Jesus meant being invited into a new family? Uh, we're in a series right now looking at different biblical images of the church. And in our passage this morning, we see the church depicted as one new family. And the main thing we need to know as we look at this passage in Ephesians is that the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles at this time was enormous. 
Uh, Jews and Gentiles did not like each other. The Jews were God's Old Testament people. And the Gentiles represented all that opposed God and his people. Uh, There was so much division, so much animosity between these two groups. that went back centuries and centuries. And yet what was happening in Ephesus is that both were putting their faith in Jesus, being converted, suddenly finding themselves trying to live together in the church. It's into this division that Paul is speaking. And he's speaking directly to the Gentiles here in our passage. This is Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking to us in your word. Uh, What we need most, what we need most more than anything else right now is to hear from you. And so would you do that by your Holy Spirit? Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to think about this passage under three headings this morning. Uh, First is we're going to look at life outside of the family. Secondly, we're going to look at the one who brings us into the family. And third, we'll look at life in the family. So first... Life outside the family. Uh, In verses 11 and 12 of our passage, Paul tells them to remember what it was like before they were in the family of God. So he's speaking to Gentiles who are now believers. And look at what he says to them in verse 11. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Um, What was life like outside of the family of God before they met Jesus? It's quite a list. Separated from Christ. Alienated from the people of God. Strangers to God's promises. No hope. Just to cover all of our bases here. No hope and without God. What is this describing? It describes being completely alone. Not with God. 
Not with his people. Why? Sin has broken all these relationships. It leads us to being alone. Separated from God. Separated from his people. The very things that we were created to be with. That give us life. And you know there's a lot of talk about the epidemic of loneliness today. Um, That our connections over social media. They haven't fixed our loneliness problem. They've actually only heightened it. Um, A recent Harvard study said that um, one in three Americans consider themselves to be lonely. Um, 61% of younger people say they're lonely. 51% of mothers with young kids are lonely. Uh, So basically the the majority are lonely. And um, it's not just isolated people who, who live alone or live very remotely and don't have much human contact who are lonely. But it's even very busy, socially connected people who have reported to be lonely in this study. Um, One of the things that this suggests in this study is that um, our experience of loneliness is not based on the number of relationships we have. Um, That we can have a lot of relationships and have a lot going on maybe in our social lives on a surface level and yet still be deeply lonely. Uh, But rather what this suggests is our experience of loneliness is based on the quality of relationships that we have. Not quantity, but quality. And in our passage, Paul is making the case that to be separated from God and to be separated from the shared life with his people in his family is to miss out on the highest quality of relationships that we were made for. And what is Paul's command in these two verses? He tells them to what? To remember. Remember what it was like when you were alone. Remember what it was like to be apart from God and apart from his people. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus personally, you would would say you're a Christian, you're a believer. Um, Are you able to remember what it was like before you met him? Um, Are you able to remember the loneliness of, of not being in relationship with God and just the constant search for meaning? Maybe it was looking to fill the emptiness and that loneliness with relationships, maybe dating, maybe hookups, maybe just constantly being socially busy. Uh, maybe it was achievements at school or work. You just like started like grinding to like fill the resume, to find validation and meaning and to just not have to face that loneliness. Maybe it was a lot of hobbies to get busy and distracted or entertainment or pleasure, whatever it could have been. Can you remember that? From your own story? Uh, Maybe a better question is why would we want to remember that? Why would Paul tell them to remember? To remember our fallen state. To remember who we were before meeting Jesus. It does at least two things. It humbles us and it gives us gratitude. Uh, It humbles us to remember. Uh, When we remember how lost we were. How empty we were. That we didn't fix that problem ourselves. Um, That does not lead to pride uh, to remember life before we were in the family of God. It leads to humility. Because it reminds us that our being in the family of God is all his work in spite of us, not because of us. Uh, That we don't deserve to be here. It's all by grace. It humbles us. And it leads us to gratitude. Um, Gratitude for the gift of knowing Jesus and knowing his people. Uh, Gratitude knowing that our cosmic deep loneliness, that separation from God and separation from his people has been dealt with. Again, not by us, but by Jesus on our behalf. 
And then zoom out for a moment and think about these attributes of humility and gratitude. Um, If remembering our previous life outside of God's family leads to humility and gratitude, what would it look like if these two attributes were lived out within the family of God? Um, What if our surrounding neighborhoods, the the people in those surrounding neighborhoods who don't know Jesus, um, what if they looked at our church family and said, wow, you know, I don't know a lot about what they believe, but I've never seen people who were so humble and so grateful. What a testament that would be to Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, The more that we remember Christ's rescue of us, the more we will grow in humility and gratitude and the more we will live out these attributes in our life together and the healthier the church family will be. Um, Living in the church as one family, it begins by remembering our lives when we were outside of the family. Let's talk about the one who brings us into the family. Let's zoom in to see how we get in to the family of God. Um, we need to see that this is not from our own doing. Uh, If you are here exploring the claims of the Bible, this is key to pay attention to. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Uh, The key to getting into the family of God, it's right there at the beginning of verse 13. In Christ Jesus. You have to be in Christ to get into this family. All right, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be united to Him by faith. Uh, When you put your faith in Jesus, when you surrender your life to Him, when you make Him the most central part of your life, you are saying that you cannot earn your way into this relationship, that you can't be good enough to make the relationship happen, Uh, you can't earn your way into the family of God. But instead, you are going to receive and rest on Jesus and his work. That's what faith is. It's receiving and resting on Jesus. What do you receive? Uh, You receive the gift. Verse 13 mentions the blood of Christ that brings us near. Why? We cannot be with God because our sin defiles us. It makes us dirty in his sight, unholy. And we need to be cleansed of that. And Jesus' blood is what cleanses us of that. And the gift is that he did this for us. That's part of the gift. The other part of the gift is that he fulfilled God's law perfectly. Verse 15 says he abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. What does that mean? That's referring to the ceremonial law that was required of Israel in the Old Testament. The sacrifices, um, the dietary restrictions that set them apart as a nation. And it was this practice of sacrifice looking forward to Jesus, the one who would come and make the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And because Jesus has come and has done that, he has fulfilled that and we're no longer bound by those laws. And he also, so that was a ceremonial law, he also fulfilled the moral law. He lived out the Ten Commandments perfectly. Perfect righteousness. And that's the gift that's given to you. Jesus purchased your forgiveness with his blood and your righteousness with his obedience. And what do you do? You receive it. And you rest in it. 
Do you see that this means there is nothing left to do to earn your way into God, into relationship with God, or into his family? Uh, Very practical aside of this, uh, if you were to ever join um, Resurrection, this church, as a member, there's five questions you have to agree with in order to join, in order to get in. And uh, they can really be summarized uh, with kind of two main ideas. And the first idea is this, that you're a sinner who cannot save yourself. And the second idea is this, Jesus is your only hope for salvation. That's the gist of what our five membership questions summarize. Um, So here's what that's saying. To join this church, you need to be able to say that you do not have the personal resume to join this church. But that Jesus does for you. This is what it means to be in Christ, to be united to him by faith. As we enter into this relationship, Paul gives us this list. He kind of fires off these things of, you used to be this, now you're this. You used to be this, now you're this. Look at the passage, verse 13. We've gone from being far off to being near. Uh, We now have personal communion with Jesus. Jesus becomes our friend. Our most intimate, uh, understanding, perfect friend. Uh, We go from being hostile to at peace. Um, Jesus comes as our peace. He comes preaching peace. And what does he do? He breaks down the wall of hostility. It says he changes us from two men into one. What does that mean? We're no longer defined as Jews and Gentiles, but as one new person in Christ. This means that there are no ethnic or racial barriers to joining the family of God. Um, Racism and feelings of ethnic superiority have no place in God's family. We are one new family in Christ. He says we've gone from being hostile to God to reconciled to God. Verse 16, this fractured relationship with God, it's, it's been mended. Jesus reconciled us by killing the hostility for us. And how did he do that? By he himself being killed on the cross. And who's it for? It's for Jews and Gentiles, those who are far off, those who are near. For our purposes, who's it for? It's for everyone. You cannot disqualify yourself from receiving this gift. Um, The only way you can disqualify yourself from receiving this gift is by refusing to receive this gift. There's a quote from Jerry Bridges that says, You are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. The way into the family of God comes by putting your faith in Christ. I remember one afternoon uh, in the fall of my sophomore year of college, I'd finished classes for the day and wanted to go for a run. And it was perfect weather for a run. Perfect weather for a run means it's a little bit too cold to just hang out outside. Uh, But once you get running and your body temperature warms up, it'll feel great outside to go running. So um, I went for a run and I, I lived with three other guys at the time. And at least one of them was home when I left the house, so I did not bring a key. Um... Left the house, went out for the run. Came back from the run. My roommate was gone and had locked the door when he left. And I did not have a key. Um, I didn't have a phone with me. um, And I had no way of reaching my roommates or really knowing where they were. And um, I looked under the the doormats to see if we had hidden a key. I I couldn't find one. So I was locked out of the house. And eventually I realized I'm just going to have to wait until someone comes back in order to get back inside. Um, now keep in mind, I was wearing like running clothes, running shorts, t-shirt, and it was not super warm out. And so I started to cool down. Eventually I just got cold, like really cold. And I looked on our driveway and there's this old newspaper that had probably been out there for a few weeks. And I took the newspaper 
And I kind of got under the stoop of our front door, leaned against the front door, and I unpacked the newspaper. I started unfolding the newspaper on my legs, trying to cover up like a blanket uh, with this really thin newspaper. After sitting there for, uh, I can't remember how long, a long time, I remember there was one window that I didn't check. It was kind of hidden behind this shrub. And so I went back to this uh, window, got behind the shrub, and sure enough, this window was unlocked. It was like an upper kind of window. And so I had to kind of like shimmy up there, go through the window and fall in onto the floor. But I finally got back inside the house. Um, But I didn't get in the way you're supposed to. I needed the key to get in the front door, but I didn't have it. And so I just made another way in. Our default mode as we approach God and his people is to try to find our own way in. And oftentimes the way that we try to get in with God and with his people is by our good behavior. If we can just do enough, be good enough, not do certain really bad things, do some good things, maybe like go to church most of the time, hang out with most of the right people, not be as bad as certain people that we know. If we can just do that, then we'll be in with God and in with his people. But this passage tells us that we can't get in that way. That there's no other way in. What's the way in? Jesus is the only way into the family of God. You simply must have faith in him. Paul tells us to remember what it was like outside of the family. He tells us about the one who gets us into the family. What is life like in the family of God? Let's talk about life in the family. Look at verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is life like? In the family of God. Three things. It's intimate. It's stable. And it's growing. Um, First thing we see is that life in the family of God is intimate. Verse 18 says that through Jesus. We both. Meaning Jews and Gentiles. Everyone who believes. Have what? Access in one spirit to the Father. Um, To be in God's family means you have intimacy. With God the Father. Uh, That he knows you. And you know him. And you can access him. You can talk to him. Cry out to him. Ask him for things. Hear from him in his word. Be embraced by him. Be comforted by him. Be fully known and loved by him. Uh, So much of our sin comes from a misguided quest for intimacy. Do you see the intimacy that you have with the Father? And we also get to experience that intimacy with each other. Verse 19 says, we're no longer estranged from each other, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of this household. Again, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, but this applies to us. Um, No matter how different you may feel, um, no matter how different your background may be, economically, socially, culturally, ethnically, um, you are a full family member in this new household and you have intimate close brotherhood and sisterhood with other believers. Life in the family of God is intimate. Secondly, life in the family of God, it's stable. Uh, To come from a stable family is a great 
gift. Um, and those who don't come from stable families, they, they have another hurdle, extra obstacles to overcome throughout their life. If you're a parent, um, you really want to create a stable environment for your children. Look at how stable God's family is in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Um, This family, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which is the very word of God. The unchanging, infallible, inerrant word of God. It's always true. It always will be true. We will never uncover some new artifact or come up to some new understanding that says that the scriptures are not true. Um, The foundation of God's word, it gives us stability in the family of God. It's what we're founded on. And so does the cornerstone, Jesus. The most important stone in the building, the one that sets the standard for the rest of the building, the one that is perfectly aligned and square. Jesus is the cornerstone and our family is built on him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life in the family of God is stable. And then the third thing, life in the family of God is growing. Um, Look at the last two verses of our passage. It says, In whom, referring to Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, To be in this family means you will constantly be growing in the Lord. It says that we will grow into a holy temple for the Lord. Into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, This is a process of sanctification where more and more, little by little, our old self is put to death, our new self is brought to life. Less of us, more of Jesus, little by little over the course of our lives. We're constantly growing in the Lord. And we don't do this alone. Uh, To be in this family means we will constantly be growing together with each other. It says that we're being joined together, being built together. We do not grow in the Lord in isolation. It's a community project. And over time, God knits us closer and closer together. Life in the family of God, what's it like? It's intimate and stable and growing. The TV show alone, uh, like a lot of other TV shows, they'll do kind of reunion episodes with contestants and um, where they kind of get everyone back together when the show's over and they talk about their experience in the show. Um, and because it's this kind of cool outdoors wilderness show, they'll, they'll do these reunions at these kind of awesome cabins where the contestants will be around a campfire and they'll be, you know, um, showered and cleaned up and, and like they will have had a steady source of food and shelter. They're back in community with other people. And what stands out the most um, when you see them after the fact is the contrast in their disposition between when they were out all alone at their wits end in the wilderness contrasted to when they are after the show surrounded by people who had been through a similar experience laughing together remembering together eating and drinking together around this fire their disposition is totally different it's almost as though they're completely new people and you can just tell when you look at them this is what they were made for to be together not alone You were made to be together with God and together with his people. And this is what Jesus offers you this morning. Uh, Won't you receive and rest in the one who brings us into this new family? Let's pray together. Father, thank you 
that you have called us not just to yourself, but into a family together. Uh, This is the way you've designed things. And so, Father, we want to live into that. In relationship with you, in relationship with each other. You as our Father, one another as brothers and sisters. Would you grow us as a family? Father, for those here who, who don't know you, would you invite them into the family by faith? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.